Welcome to the St. Richard's Podcast Sermon of the Week. This week's message is given by the Reverend Kelly Jennings. For more information, please visit us at strichards.org. Many of us live every day carrying pain from our past. It can be very deep pain. Several among us have even lost a child, and that is about the worst for someone to have to live through. So it is hard to hear David's famous and gut-wrenching cry of, O Absalom, my son, my son. It echoes forward to times in our own lives when we too have cried out to God over a painful loss. For King David, in our Old Testament lesson today, his son's death was the final blow in a series of losses around this son of his. We've heard episodes of the David story all through the summer. David begins as a faithful and courageous shepherd boy to being the anointed king of a unified Israel. He then gets wrapped up in his power and forgets to seek God's heart in all things, falling into the quicksand of his own sin. He kills off the husband of the woman he lusted after and acquires her for himself. But then David repents of the adultery and murder and hands his life and his kingdom back over to the Lord. And God blesses David and Bathsheba with a son, Solomon. Remember, though, that David has several wives, and Solomon is not his first child. Into this context, then, we set Solomon to the side for a future reading. And a little later on, we are introduced to another son, Absalom, who is particularly ambitious and vengeful. Suffice it to say that in killing his older brother, ambitious ambitious Absalom, successfully makes himself the heir to David's throne, except that the throne is still occupied by his father David. Absalom is described in much the same way as his father, handsome, and with one distinctive attribute, a head of long, thick hair, which in the day would have indicated a strong leader. But almost comically, and of course tragically, This attribute, in the end, would seem to lead to his fall. Absalom, we're told, quickly wins the hearts of many people in Jerusalem. He is so taken with his own popularity that he takes off for Hebron, just outside of Jerusalem, and starts building an army to confront and bring down his father's reign. When messengers report all this to David, the king sees that Absalom may well turn Jerusalem into a bloodbath. So David gets virtually everyone out of the city, including himself. David, however, leaves the ark in Jerusalem, saying that if God intends to restore him to the throne, he, David, will come back. But if not, the ark will still remain. God will always remain the God of Israel, whether kings come or go. That is humility from David. So hold on to this image, then, of the king leaving Jerusalem. We'll come back to that. 
we see even more humility in the next tragic scene. The king of Israel leaves his capital city, and we are told that he weeps as he goes barefoot, a sign of sorrow. The whole countryside weeps aloud with David, we read, as he and the city's residents pass by. Okay, so here we have to pause and look at one type of way that Christians have read this story and many others in the Old Testament. Since very early in the church, and even since the writers of the New Testament themselves, we have used a type of interpretation called typology. Typology is where we see the shadow of Jesus in Old Testament figures, and where we see the reflection of Old Testament figures in the person of Jesus. So when we do that, it's called, we're doing typology. So for example, in Moses giving the law, we see millennia later, Jesus giving himself as the living Torah to God's people. And in Jesus bursting from the tomb on Easter day, we see Adam's story reversed. He is the new Adam. Children in particular, I've discovered, are really good at doing typology. They love to find the connections between the Old and New Testaments. It's exciting doing it with them. They surprise me with connections they find. When we arrive at King David Church, we reach a pinnacle in typology. In David, the King of Israel, we see the foreshadowing of Jesus, the King of the world. So now, recall the image of King David leaving Jerusalem, and also recall the familiar scene for us during Holy Week. Jesus walking outside the walls of Jerusalem the way all condemned criminals had to walk, carrying his cross. The women of Jerusalem weep for Jesus too as he passes by, barefoot with a cross over his shoulder, all would seem defeated. Hear that? See that connection between David and Jesus here? So back in 2 Samuel, defeat for David would seem near. We have David's arrogant son and heir now occupying Jerusalem. And David is in humble retreat, but not afraid to confront his own son, if he must. Armies are strong on both sides. In short, David is compelled to confront his son in battle. The consummate warrior, David makes it very clear, however, he is still a father, that they are to deal with Absalom, how they are to deal with Absalom, should they catch him. He gives these details. Be gentle with the young man. Doesn't call him his son just now. Be gentle with the young man, Absalom, for my sake. The battle, we are told, spreads out over the whole countryside, and Absalom, riding on a royal mount, a mule traditionally, meets up with David's men, about 12 of them, including David's general Joab. Are you hearing some New Testament shadows, some pointings to the New Testament? It's no wonder then that Jesus' 12 disciples might have thought they'd be called into military action. They knew these stories about David from their childhood. Perhaps they too would be called to fight against Jesus' foes for Israel's sake. 
Absalom, we can imagine, being in pursuit, heads into the forest to divert his pursuers. But as he does, he gets his head, and we can imagine his big head of hair, stuck in an oak tree, dangling between heaven and earth. Did you catch that? Symbols of his arrogance, stuck in an oak tree as the mule simply carries on his way. General Joab tells a soldier, we kind of miss this in the passage, it does a bit of skipping around. It's good stuff, it's a good read. Joab tells a soldier to kill him, and the soldier says, are you kidding? Didn't you hear the king? No way, I'm not going to kill the king's son. So Joab does the deed himself and spears Absalom while he hangs in the tree. Ten more of his men do the same, perhaps to cover up Joab's act. Joab wisely chooses someone he can afford to lose to carry the news back to David. But this time, uncharacteristically, David punishes neither the messenger nor anyone else for Absalom's death. And it's this heavy scene that we get this morning. David asked the messenger, is there peace with him, the young man Absalom? The play on the words being that Absalom's name means father's peace. It's tragic. The messenger says, may all your enemies be like that young man. And David knows his son is dead. The king is shaken, it says, and he goes up to the gate of the city from which they are in exile and weeps as he goes and cries out in a way that is only matched or topped in scripture by Jesus' cry from the cross. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. At the heart of David's cry, is the desire to take the place of his son and to be the one to die instead. Some of us here have had that self-sacrificial wish for someone we loved who was suffering and in pain. Also, friends, if we're honest, we ourselves have dangled from a tree that we have gotten ourselves caught in by pride or our fear or our resentment, or our stubbornness, or our addictions. We can get ourselves into a real mess. And if you are feeling like you are the only one here who has done that, who is, who is in that situation, maybe even right now, just look around. You are in good company. The good news today, friends, is that each of us who has been baptized, either at this font or somewhere else, has accepted that there was someone who stepped in and took our place on that tree. He was hung on it, the cross. He was speared in the side. And he, Jesus, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew abandonment. He knew loss. But we also remember that on that first Easter morning, Jesus walked out of the tomb alive, showing that nothing can hold our king down. Typology, remember, involves looking back to the Old Testament and seeing how figures there point to Jesus. But typology doesn't stop there, doesn't stop with the past, doesn't stop even with the present. Typology goes to the future. 
The church then looks to a time in the future spoken about in the Bible when this king, Jesus, will return to fill the whole world with his love and light. The return of the king, that is our hope. The king, Jesus, who will return to his city, the new Jerusalem. We get the description of that new city in the book of Revelation. For those of us who have felt a loss and will feel it, I am sure, for the rest of our lives, this is our hope. We hope in the king. We believe that there will be a time when all shall be restored. We believe there will be a time when the king will walk back into his city and reclaim it. The world, the city of God, every dark corner will be filled with his light. God, we're told in 2 Corinthians, will be all in all. That's our Christian hope this morning. All will be reconciled. All injustices will be corrected. All hurts will be healed. There will be suffering and sighing no more. And no more death. No more dying. To close, I'll leave you with those words from Handel's Messiah. All of his words he pulled from Scripture. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Be hopeful with me, friends. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org. 